Hello, this is Father David Nix on the Padre Peregrino podcast. This is TCE Theology and Current Events number 34, Catholic Prepping with Captain Emily. Captain Emily Rainey, how are you doing today? Hey, Father. It's been too long. Glad to have you back. Yeah, I mean, a lot has happened since the last time we chatted, and I know that we've been looking forward to doing this particular podcast, so I'm finally glad to jump into it. That's right. And this is the last day of the year. So we're going to uh, jump into Catholic prepping to get you ready for 2022. I think some people hear end of the liturgical year and they think it's kind of just a little priestly pious game. But Catholics really did and should see this as the last day of the year. So we're recording on Saturday and I'm actually going to upload this on Saturday, 27th of November, 2021. So tonight begins Advent. And if you go to the Latin Mass tomorrow, you're going to hear for the Epistle Romans chapter 13 and Luke 21. And I looked at these readings this morning, knowing that we were going to do this podcast on prepping. And so I decided to share this with everybody, uh, kind of get you ready for tomorrow. If you happen to listen to this podcast on Saturday night tonight, this is Romans 13 that you'll hear in the Epistle for the first Sunday of Advent tomorrow morning. Brethren, understand, for it is now the hour for us to rise from sleep. Because now our salvation is nearer than when we came to believe. The night is far advanced. The day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk becomingly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in debauchery and wantonness, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm not going to give a little sermon here, but I will say, that what you can hear in that reading, I guess this is a tiny little fervorina, but what you can hear in that reading is to really prepare, but there's a hope in it. It's not a, a prepare for darkness. It's actually prepare for the light. And then Luke 21, at that time, Jesus said to his disciples, there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and upon the earth, distress of nations bewildering by the roaring of sea and waves, men fainting for fear and for expectation of the things that are coming on the world. For the powers of heaven will be shaken and then, they will, and then they will see the Son of Man coming upon a cloud with great power and majesty. But when these things begin to come to pass, look up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is at hand. And he spoke to them a parable. Behold, the fig tree and all the trees, when they now put forth their buds, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these, these things coming to pass, know that the kingdom of God is near. And then I say to you, this generation will not pass away till all things have been accomplished. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So again, what we hear in that is uh, there's going to be big changes, but total hope right there. And that really encapsulates Advent, because as everybody knows, Advent is not just preparing for the gentle birth of Jesus and mercy. It's also preparing for his coming in glory, which will be justice for the whole world, too. And Really, if you're living in sanctifying grace, you should look forward to that to that day of justice. Um, Captain Emily, you had a pretty exciting past few months. You got to be on Tucker Carlson's show. Uh, and it wasn't just once. You put something on Facebook that was like, we're recording, but this is in the future. But something's in the past. The timeline was really confusing for me, figuring out uh, what was what was being aired when. Um, and I don't. I don't have any of those uh, subscriptions to like Fox Nation or whatever. So I never even got to see on it. Tell us why you were invited on Tucker Carlson, uh, what you talked about, and if you can, a little bit what he's like. Sure. So Tucker Carlson just aired a three-part documentary on the Fox Nation under his Tucker Carlson originals. It was actually the, the season um, 
finale of his current uh, Tucker Carlson originals um, season, and it's called Patriot Purge, and it's the premise of the of all three little mini um, documentaries is essentially um, in this current tyrannical communist takeover of the government. They're trying to get out anybody that will stand in the way of this coup um, in the different areas of government. And it was a lot of it was centered around January 6th, which if any of your listeners have heard our previous podcasts, they know that I was at January 6th and I was um, targeted by the military and made an example of uh, despite doing everything right and within my rights as a citizen. So um, my episode, you could say, is episode two of those three. And um, Tucker invited me and my family down to his Florida studio because he films half the year in Florida and half the year in the Northeast. And um, to just help promote the the documentary and to have a little um, in-studio interview with him. And that was on his primetime show on Fox News regular on November 2nd. So that whole week of November 2nd was when they aired the three different episodes on Fox Nation. So you can go and check that out. Um, it has made quite the stir in mainstream media. The left has completely lost their minds over this documentary. Um, and and particularly my segment, because I talk about things involving PSYOP, which is my area of expertise. And of course, they want to debunk everything that I said. I have my own Snopes page now. So it's my claim really? to fame. Congratulations. You ever notice how Snope, <laughs> Snope sounds just like one of the villains in, in the new Star Wars? He didn't even try. Like, you shouldn't try harder. Exactly. <laughs> so um, you asked about what Tucker's like. And it's funny because we didn't actually talk about the interview we were about to do from pretty much the moment we met. Um, we were talking everything about that's going on in this country. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about the way the left is slowly, you know, devouring itself and they've kind of jumped the shark on some of their, their policies. And, you know, some of their public figures have just kind of taken it to an extreme to the point where people are really starting to wake up. And two things I'll say about Tucker. One, he's just a completely normal human. Um, I think some of that is attributed to the fact that he really stays away from all of social media. He doesn't, he doesn't engage, you know, he's a book reader and he just tries to stay grounded, which I think you have to be really deliberate about. We all have to be really deliberate about staying grounded. So in this kind of information environment that we get swept up in and all the propaganda and the lies that are pervasive in the world today, just Satan having his coming out party. Um, so he completely normal human could totally just talk to him like anybody else, but watching him actually do the show. Cause I sat next to him for the 40 minutes prior to our segment. And this was election night, election coverage of the, of the, um, you know, Virginia, uh, gubernatorial race. So it was very dynamic. There was things, um, it was everything that he had he had planned ahead of time for the show. Uh, he had to change around because things were coming in, and he was he was like some kind of savant conducting a symphony, like calling audibles and changing things around last minute. And it was kind of I had this like sick feeling in my stomach, like oh, actually he's a total genius. Um, if you've ever been in the presence of like a real genius, it's a little bit unsettling because you're just like we don't really. I shouldn't be talking to him. I don't got him out of my league. 
but um, which was a total switch from when I was just talking to him, watching him actually conduct and be like the general of this little uh, massive production that he does every night was um, super incredible. But one of the things that was most fun to talk to him about was actually prepping because he definitely sees the world. As you know, if you watch a show, he sees the world the way it is right now. And he sees the menaces for who they are. And he, he, you know, names them, calls them out by name. And it's really amazing how he managed to, um, I think you said it before, how he's not even, you know, if he gets arrested, uh, you know, we would be not entirely shocked in today's age. Like there's no justice. There's no, right. I mean, with what, look what the FBI has been doing. Like every other week, it's a new outrageous violation of the constitution. So, um, we talked about that a little bit and, um, and it's, it's good that we're talking about prepping today because he leaned in when he told me this next thing, he said, um, what you need to understand is I'm not going to jail. Do you understand what I'm saying? I am not going to jail. And I was like, I think I know what you mean. <laughs> I think I know what you mean. I mean, we have these conversations within my own family too. So it's just, um, and, you know, he, you know, he's admitted that he has changed quite a bit politically. He used to work for CNN. Um, and so when I, I don't own a TV, but when I see on YouTube, just a thumbnail on Fox News for whatever he's talking about, it usually is something like, this is the worst thing Democrats have ever said. You know, some of it seems a little bit sensationalistic as far as the uh, the YouTube thing. But what you're describing is in real life, he really, he really does see this as a communist coup. Now, I think he's smart for not using terms I use like communist coup because he has a slightly different Overton window than someone like Alex Jones on Infowars, right? Um, Tucker Carlson is speaking to right of center or someone like Alex Jones is speaking right of right of center on this stuff. So there's a different mm-hmm. Overton window and that's totally fine to reach different groups of people with a different, like basically Overton window is what your listeners can can really digest at that moment, Right. Um, but he understands this is different from like the 1980s when there was tension between like, you know, uh, the Democrats and the Republicans, where there might be a heated debate in a bar or something like that, or the 90s, you know, when when Obama came to power, power. like we all we understood that there was tension in politics in this country, but the level where people are losing their minds is different from what was happening in the eighties and the nineties. And I think Tucker really gets this. I I think he would make a great Catholic. Yeah. I mean, I really do. I know he's not Catholic. We talked a little bit about religion. Cool. Um, He's Episcopalian, right? Yeah, I think so. Yep. Mm. Um, uh, But, but he's, he gets it he gets things and he's, he's our people. Even if yeah, whoever's listening that has access to Tucker Carlson, go convert him. We need him converted. Go do it. Well, you know, he quoted Archbishop Vigano before he's quoted Vigano. Um, he had on um, father Robinson, the SSPX, not SSPX here in Denver. He had on father Robinson, SSPX from um, New Jersey twice on his show because he stood up against the mandates a year and a half ago. You know, so he's got his finger on the, so it's funny if he's quoting SSPX and Vigano as an Episcopalian <laughs> and the USCCB would never quote an SSPX or Vigano, <laughs> it is kind of funny who's on whose team on this whole thing. 
Well, you know, more Catholic than the Pope, he may just be. <laughs> so what did he just hanging out with him? Like, um, yeah, where did you guys go with prepping? Or maybe maybe you want to use this just as our launching point into uh, into prepping. What how is I guess. But real quick before we go to prepping, how is 2021 slash 2022 different from where we were political differences in the 1980s and the 1990s? Like, I guess you can't put words in Tucker's mouth, but uh from your discussion on january 6th and the um the documentary they did you on and and the other people i think he understands this isn't typical you know grumpy tensions between right and left well i think the the overtone of of the of the three part documentary is how unprecedented so many things are but how they're not unprecedented in other areas of the world and in the ways that America has behaved in other areas of the world. So a lot of, there's a lot of uh, parallels drawn between, um, you know, the Iraq war and Abu Ghraib and say the way that they've treated these um, January 6th um, protesters since who are still locked up 11 months later um, and who have not been given due process. So kind of explaining how, though it's it's unprecedented in our history until you look at the way the three-letter agencies and the you know to include the dod have behaved in other areas of the world so it's a lot of that it's a lot of showing how okay this is not um these tactics are have been used um and and the people that are in these agencies and in the government they have decades of experience doing this very thing but now that all of these um, wars are kind of coming to a close abroad, all that money and all that energy is all being directed inward on, you know, patriots, on conservatives, um, constitutional believers and um, Christians, ultimately. And I've heard him say several times, you might expect this in a third world country, but not in the United States or something like that. You might expect to see this in a third world country, but this is the United States. You know, and I, like I said, I only see the maybe three segments a week that they put up on Fox News on YouTube. And even with those, I've heard him, you know, compare these things to kind of these coups without any order that can happen in third world countries. And I, so I think he realizes um, he's at, uh, he would be one of the very first people they would go to if they didn't make a martyr out of him. Right. And of course, all of this, we we assume that you want, they want to keep things under the the threshold of violence for as long as possible, and that's why that that frog in boiling water is just always an apt analogy for this. Like they don't want us jumping out, they don't want us, you know, taking our torches and pitchforks and going somewhere. Um, yeah. They almost had that. I mean, I would say that they didn't almost have that in January sixth sure. because nobody brought anything other than their American flags. Yeah. Um, so um, as I talk about in the documentary, it's if it was an insurrection, it's the worst insurrection ever. Um, yeah, you brought it, you said you brought it old ladies, simply was not. It simply old was ladies not in tennis shoes is what you said you brought. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about that and people can check out your your other TCEs wow. on that. But I think going back to this, how is 2021, 2022 and beyond going to be different uh, when, when, when you discuss prepping? The first thing people want to talk about is scenarios. OK, are we prepping for? you know, a pandemic? Are we prepping for a 
um, a nuclear attack or a or or inflation that leads to a depression or as things go on we kind of are starting to see what this is going to look like and, and it may not look the same for everyone those of us who have decided not to comply haven't complied from the beginning with all of um the the Cooties park new remember world to use, order remember to use, that? remember to use code words so we don't get booted Cooties oh park. yeah <laughs> no, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't violate it. I didn't say anything. Yeah. You just have to be careful of that. Um, yeah, we're not we're not getting involved with the the cooties poke. Yeah. We haven't masked. We're not we're not down with the new world order um, agenda. And so that this whole what what the future looks like and what is the exact scenario that we're prepping for looks may look different for those of us who um who are non-compliers. Now, so before we get to the prepping, a little pushback for you. Do you really think they don't want the violence? You know, I tend to think if there was, say, a bunch of uh, outraged people in some area of down, some downtown city who actually was protesting against the masks and the cooties poke and stuff, if there was one act of violence, I think that's everything that, um, as one guy calls, you know, who's Sleepy Caesar, he calls him Sleepy Caesar, at least the people that are controlling him, if there was an act of violence on the right, even a smallest act of violence on the right against those on the left, that would be the excuse they need essentially. And I know everyone gets a lot of mileage comparing everybody of the opposite side to the Nazis, but Kristallnacht, you know, Kristallnacht was this time when there was the, uh, means the night of broken glass, literally. And many Jews shop stores was uh, hit out and that's when the Nazi government said, well, we need to have major clampdown against the Jews for everyone's safety, including theirs. So, you know, I move I, them into the ghettos for their own safety, for their own safety. In the FEMA camps for their own good. Exactly. And that's what I fear that if if there was one person who, you know, if there was an because you see in Europe, there's these anti mask and these anti look at look at places like Austria and Europe. I mean, major, major fines if you haven't had the jab. And part of me wonders, are they just waiting for kind of just one person to fire off around it to go in the wrong direction or something? And then someone on the left, some cop to get hurt. Well, that's everything they need to make mandatory well, a, pokes, pokes for the whole I'll, world. I'll, I see where you're going with this, Father. And I'll interrupt you by saying they're not waiting for anything. If that mm-hmm. if they need that scenario, that scenario will be created. And yeah. and I and I keep pushing back on all of this um you know, the left who says that false flags aren't a thing. False flags are a historical fact and a not uncommon tool used by DOD agencies abroad. So I don't know why Snopes is saying that like, I'm lying and there's no such thing as false flags because it's just not true. Like it's just, it's just kind of ludicrous to like even assert that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's in I've, our I've learned that fact checkers, I mean, I take it literally, I, I take it 99.9% of the opposite. I mean, a fact checker literally tells me what I should believe. If they, if fact checker tells me X, I know it's B. A fact checker tells me Y, I know it's A. It's, <laughs> right. it's almost a one-to-one correlation with what political, politifact or any of those tell me. I know their fact check is a lie. You know, it's like- so they're- they're not waiting for somebody to pop off around if, if they needed that. Yeah, and I don't I mean you. to say that they don't want violence, but they want to choreograph the violence at their chosen place and time okay. for their chosen event so that they that's, can spin it in the way they want. Oh, I mean, they, they don't okay. truly want the mm. millions of Americans who own guns 
constitutional that are only constitutionally sanctioned for this reason to deal with tyrants. That's the reason it's not for deer hunting. It really just isn't for deer hunting. <laughs> so <laughs> it's you. for tyrant hunting is what it's for. Like it's truly, yep. that's what it's for. Uh, that's what the founders um, made that amendment for. So they don't want us to decide this is the moment to use them. You know, um, I wanted, I was going to save this to the end, but I do want to jump in just since you mentioned the word um, tyrant, I was listening to a, uh, He's a teacher. He's got his degree in um, both statistics and advanced psychology, and I, especially like psychology of what's he, what he calls mass formation. And he was on a guy's channel. He's got this thing on YouTube has over seven hundred thousand views now. Just a couple of weeks ago, and it was a it was a I think a Belgian guy on a British guy's channel. We talked about the difference between dictatorship and tyranny, and this guy explained that a dictatorship is when you when a country is fueled by fear of that dictator. And the funny thing is they know that power is false. Let me say it again, dictatorship, it's fueled by fear of that dictator, but the people know that power is bogus, where in tyranny, in tyranny, the power is fueled by hypnosis into mass formation. In tyranny, that power is fueled by hypnosis into mass formation. And, and this is why it's so much more dangerous. They actually think the evil is good. Um, people think evil is good and good is evil, right out of Isaiah. And this guy explained that, there's 30% brainwashed, 40% lazy, and 30% in the resistance. So 70%, you know, 30% brainwashed plus 40% lazy, that's 70%. 70% are going to follow the tyranny, um, about half of them with quite a bit of robust vigor, and then the other half in a lazy manner, and then 30% maximum um, in resistance. So when we talk about prepping here, we're talking about, um, you know, pushing against people who are successfully brainwashed in this country, neighbors, not neighbors who kind of roll their eyes and like, yeah, I don't like the dictator so-and-so either. I don't know if I'm going to fight back, but people who are truly brainwashed, um, you know, fueled by this fear um, of what's called mass formation. That's a little bit different from like, you know, prepping 500 years ago for a famine in, you know, medieval France before the French Revolution. Yeah. And I mean, we'll get into it here in a second, but um, that's why, that's why I've created the model for preparedness that, that I have, because you can't, you can't use kind of historical examples necessarily, because this is, this is so unprecedented and we're in such a technological age. Um, as Catholics, as traditional Catholics, especially we, we can't just, you know, pick up a, how to prep prepping 101 book off the shelf or grab, you know, one of these like pre-made bug out bags, you right. know, that just, just so that we can like mentally feel better about it, you know, kind of check a box so that we can kind of assuage our anxiety. It, we, we really have to have a, a whole, um, a system, a philosophy for, for how we're spending our time and our resources and how you can pragmatically do that um, within a, a Catholic mindset. Great. And, Let's jump into uh, that. Real, I should have given your CV, uh, Emily, but you, you're a captain. Uh, you, well, you're on, on, honorably discharged despite the uh, dishonor they tried to throw on your head. Honorably discharged, captain of the U U.S. Army, PSYOPs, um, highly PSYOPs trained, but you've been deployed numerous times, jumped off a helicopter many, many times, been to battle. 
So, um, so you have the uh, moral authority and the CV authority to talk about these things. Um, but go ahead and just, I, I forgot to give the CV at the beginning. There's a lot more. You, can, you guys can listen to the <coughs> previous TCEs with a long CE that I gave, CV that I gave for, and it's very, very, very impressive. Um, why don't you jump into uh, your philosophy of prepping? And what is prepping? Maybe start with a definition. There might even be people who are like, what, what do you mean prepping? Does this mean going into a bunker with, like I said last night, you know, 15,000 cans of pinot beans and 15,000 rounds of ammo? Well, that could be part of it. But, um, you know, this line I gave you last night, I heard from a Marine, the first thing to die in combat is your plan. And what I like about your plan, Emily, is um, it's set up for broken plans. It, it's set up for when your plan collapses. That's what we have to get ready for. The first thing to die in combat is your plan. Right. And, and honestly, father, the, when, when I finish describing this to your listeners, they're going to say, well, we should kind of live like this anyway, as Catholics, like whether or not yeah, we're always preparing for the end of our lives, our natural lives, or the end of the world, or, you know, a chastisement of some sort. I mean, that's why we're here. So in time, our time and our resources are always limited anyway. So it's going to kind of, some may think like, well, yeah, we should do that anyway. But there are some things in here that are specific to um, you, you are, you sense, or you have uh, knowledge or you're listening to prophecy and you're thinking, okay, there's, there is, I care about my natural life, but my natural life is not at all the ultimate thing to preserve, which is why you can't go and pick a one-on-one prepping book off the shelf because they completely leave out the spiritual element of it. And, and, and what is it to gain the whole world or in this case to preserve your life and then lose your soul. So that's why, and, and I developed this, you know, not so that I could do a podcast on it, but because me and my family were trying to make these decisions for ourselves. And, um, as a philosophy major, it's, I guess, not, um, particularly surprising that I then turned it into like a philosophy of prepping, which I call concentric circles of ownership. So, um, the reason why I call it that is because, um, the, one of the most fundamental questions that I ask throughout is what can't they, you know, the inimitable them take away from you, you know, everything can be taken away, but at the, at, at your centermost self, imagine you're standing like in the center of concentric circles, you know, ripples around you. And the things that are closest to you are the things that can't be um, stolen, you know? And, and that is where I feel like we should be putting our most of our time and energy because everything can be gone in a minute. I mean, um, I've been recently very much a glutton for World War II movies. Um, and I, I was watching, um, I, I watched a Dyer Van Frank movie recently. I rewatched Schindler's List. And then my favorite movie is actually, um, it's about the, the Belsky brothers in Poland or in Belarus, Russia at the time. Um, it's called uh, Defiant or Defiance, one or the other. And, um, and all and these Polish Jews were, you know, not necessarily wealthy, but they had things and eventually, you know, things are taken from them. And that's how I kind of approached this is, 
how can we spend our time and like pragmatically, like where are, am I going to spend my energy in the hours of my day and my limited funds? So do I need 15,000 cans of pinto beans? Um, and, and why certain things are, are more important than others to spend your time on. Now, I won't belabor this point any further other than to say that there are some things in my philosophy that people are going to like definitely disagree with. Um, and it's going to be a little bit polarizing because some of this stuff will turn what you've heard about prepping on its head, but I will defend it. So, I mean, this is my model and, you know, you can throw it out if you want, but um, this is, I really believe that this is how we should be thinking about this. And this is what we do in my family. So um, I'll just jump into it then. Um, I kind of separated, if you're, if you're standing at that in, in the center of concentric circles, I separated it into four categories with the things at the furthest reaches from you, the furthest orbit, is what I call the negligible. So they're not, they're um, the least important things to care about when you're prepping. Then you have the tangible and then the intangible and then the essential. So the essential is your closest orbit. So um, when I say, and I think people are gonna get a little bit up in arms about this because when, but at the negligible level, are anything that you can are not physically touching. And this can be very hard for people to hear because if you if it's in ones and zeros in an app on an account that you don't can't walk and get money out of right now, it is negligible. It's it's essentially non-useful to you. And I have a couple of examples of how this can very quickly, especially for a persecuted class of people, very quickly become nothing to you. Um, on January 6th, um, those people that are kind of cited or listed in the FBI most wanted for January 6th, their bank accounts were shut down. And many of them still have not gained access to their funds. It's like, we'll send them to you when the investigation is, is closed. So if ever you're put under FBI uh, investigation, they can freeze your accounts. They can give you no access to them whatsoever. So if you, you might have $20,000 in a checking account, but that is negligible to you because it's in ones and zeros. It is, it, it, it can in a moment no longer be something that you own in your concentric circles. Um, and I, I include things like pensions. Um, in, in modern day America, we've never, we've never lived through a, a moment um, where all of a sudden the pension, government pension or whatever that you thought you had, you no longer have. But, you know, I deployed to Iraq. Um, so did my dad actually in the early years of, of the Iraq war. And those Ba'athists that were aligned with Saddam, when the debathification process occurred and we as, as the United States government decided that no, um, no one that was in Saddam's regime or had aligned themselves with him, um, which was everyone in the government, by the way, even the trash collectors had to have pledged allegiance to the Ba'ath Party. Um, none of them, they were all kicked out um, like on the same day and they lost everything, all their pensions. And I think in, um, I think Iraq, in Iraq, it's a 30 year military pension. So some people had done 29 years in the Iraqi army and then they had nothing the next day. 
And people don't really understand that in, in very volatile situations, which we could very quickly find ourselves in, in our, in this country, the things you think you have, you don't. Um, and, and I think some people that went through the 2008, you know, market crash and, or, um, housing, um, crisis and lost a lot of their investments can see how quickly that these investments don't really mean anything either. Um, the one thing I also put into this category that people are going to fight me on is cryptocurrency. Um, I spend no energy in cryptocurrency uh, whatsoever, and mostly because um, the of the creators of it. I'm thinking, okay, well, if these are the ideologues behind it, it can't be good. <laughs> and um, and I put a question mark next to crypto because I I, I simply am not um, an expert enough to to want to fight the, your listeners who are experts on it. So you can include it or not include it. I include it because to me it's ones and zeros. I don't have it in my hands and my family. I personally don't do it and I don't understand it enough um, to to con to consider that a tangible uh, asset for our family. So that is the conclusion of the first category, which is the things that you own the least. And that's the negligible category. So we have three more categories. The next one is the tangible property, the tangible things you can own. And this is kind of where most of like literature and different podcasts on prepping kind of falls in this category. People really just talk about like, what can I go and buy and stockpile um, right now? And, and for sure, you cannot gloss over this. Um, I, I think that there's way too much emphasis put into kind of like the high tech things. Like I really have want nothing to do with solar panels because one thing breaks and you have to go to China to get the replacement part. And do you really have the expertise to fix everything yourself? And um, so I don't mess with that. It's very expensive. And, and um, so I would stay away from things that are very high tech. It's, it's the low tech bare necessity stuff that people really don't do enough of. Like the first thing on the uh, tangible property list that you need, always need to prep is water. The second tangible thing you need is water. The third tangible thing you need is water. Like water is for sure the most underrated thing. If you don't have a hand pump for your well, if you don't have a rain catchment system, if you don't have iodine tablets for purification, um, you're basically you know going to be SOL at some point. Um, but the way I talk about the tangible property, I split it into two categories. And once again, this gets a little bit, um, pol this is kind of a polarizing um, subject because I split it into mobile tangible property and immobile tangible property because people really, really over overstate the importance of, you know, buying a farm. And I'm, we bought one. I definitely think it's important, but your, your real estate, which is what people would say is like, you really need to invest in your real estate. One, that can be taken away in a moment. Um, and remember that this whole philosophy, this whole model is based off of what can't be taken away and, and, and prioritizing the things at the center that can't. Um, so, you know, we have really horrible imminent domain um, laws in this country and, it's, they can very legalistically make it look like it's, you know, on purpose, the new world order, 
you know, the building back better is talking about you not owning anything and being happy. So socializing all property and, and, and watching BlackRock and the gate and the gates is buy up all the real estate in the country. It's very clear that they do want us to be in this kind of tenant sharecropper um, situation. So yes, buy real estate if you can buy a plot of land if you can, but my, my opinion is the value of that land is actually what you can learn on it, not owning it. Because frankly, as you've seen in all of these lockdowns, Father, the, there are certain states that are friendly to freedom and friendlier to Christians, and then there's some that aren't. And if you are currently living, working um, in, in one of those states, and, you, and we might not be able to necessarily identify which ones are going to be the safest now, no there are a lot of people that are picking up and moving to places they're foreseeing um, that being, you know, a more tenable place to, to try to thrive in a crisis situation. And, and I say, if that makes sense for your family, go for it because at least you won't need, I mean, you'll, you'll have that for longer, most likely. People will talk about going to the Ozarks a lot, but you know, you also lose when you leave, you know, um, some of those intangible goods like your community, um, you lose when you pick up and start fresh somewhere else. So I actually think that mobile property is more valuable for a prepper than, than immobile property like real estate. And you're going to um, get into what um, immobile property is? Well, immobile property would be anything that you cannot pick up and take with you in your, in the vehicles that you have. So your land, I meant mobile property. What is mobile property? Yeah. So your mobile property is going to be your campers, your dirt bikes, your cars, anything like that can go inside those vehicles. So foodstuffs that you can move, um, ammo, uh, animals, you know, if you can load the back of your, of your, you know, your truck with, a couple of chickens that's going to be more useful to you in a lot of ways than some of the heavier um, items that that you can't um, transport as well. So this kind of goes back to, okay, you, you might want to stock a bunker. You can't bring the bunker with you, that's for sure. And if you have 15,000 cans of pinto beans, you can't bring those with you either because there's going to be weight limits to what you can physically carry. We, in my family, um, we talk about, well, what happens if um, we need to move, but we cannot drive for whatever reasons. Are, are there checkpoints on the roads? You're going to have to move across country. Um, and I mean, and this kind of thing sounds really dystopian and okay, this only happens in, in books and movies like The Road with Viggo Mortensen, but it, where you have a hand cart and you're, you know, homeless manning, doing the homeless man shuffle down the highways. But this is what happens in third world countries. And the more time you spend there, like I have, you see that, you know, um, if you need to get out of a certain area, like watching what happened in Afghanistan and watching folks that worked with the government trying to get to the Kabul airport as soon as possible, having to move across country because the roads had checkpoints, you have to think about these kind of things. So um, these, all of the sudden, all of the, the prepping you've done and you've spent so much of your money um, investing in, in stockpiling, in reality, you have to leave it all behind. Um, and you should have a plan for what you do with those things that are left behind so that they don't go unused. Hand the keys off. You have that one friend that can't leave. You know, they've got somebody that's, that's um, 
you know, disabled or something, like make sure you have a, you have told them where your stuff is, um, have a pre-typed or written note that you can drop in their mailbox on the way out so that, um, you're, you're, um, providing charity as you leave, um, for those that can't leave or don't want to leave. So, um, that's the second category is, and then we're kind of complete with that. Um, Last thing I would say is cash and gold for um, for your mobile property. It is good to have a certain amount of that. Um, I've heard people say have enough for your family um, to get where you're going, wherever it is you're going, which you need to have a plan for that, you know, to whatever free state, to whatever um, state park campground you're headed to, whatever. Um, can, can you, do you have enough that you can either barter or um, pay your way out of that situation. So you have enough for maybe a week for your family, cash or gold, because in all likelihood, um, that money won't be good for long um, if, if it's a true crisis situation and you could use a wheelbarrow cash and, and you wouldn't have enough um, you know, money to buy bread. And I think we've talked about this in previous podcasts about how quickly uh, the dollar could be devalued to the point where it's better to use it as toilet paper than anything else. And if you're, if you're deemed an undesirable in society, say you haven't had the cooties poke or something, then they may not take your cash anyway. Mm. Right. Yeah. If you, if you don't have, um, your mark, your, your papers, your passport, um, and, and, and there's no reason why we wouldn't think that that would be the scenario. And that's why I say, as this continues to develop, those of us who are non-compliant starting to get a clearer picture of the way it's going to go down. I mean, um, not to go down too much of a rabbit hole, but we've talked about fake papers in the past. And I have, um, has, I've said it time and time again, don't, don't think that these fake, the, the easy, how easy these papers are to fake isn't on purpose. They're not going to have this whole system and then have it crumble underneath something as easy as a very quick felonious pass. No, they're going to use these people's people saying that they're, you know, faking these passports as the reason why we now need to have it as a tattoo. And that's why Bill Gates has already patented it is they can say, well, look at all of these criminals. Now we have to have a tattoo. So you can't buy or sell your pay, your money doesn't mean anything. How do you get out of the situation you're in to a more, to a more um, sustainable location for your family, a safer place for them to be. Yeah, LifeSite News had a thing that was done by John Henry Weston on a bunch of kids that have already been tracked by Bill Gates in India in this whole system. And this was uh, right at the beginning of all this, I think a year and a half ago, they have tracking systems on these kids in India. And another point is just the boosters. I mean, if you, yeah, what are you going to, maybe you can have some forged paperwork for the first one, but then at the checkpoint, then you should have no problem if you have your paperwork getting a booster shot in your arm, uh, since everyone who has their paperwork should have already been compliant with the booster shot. So it's like, how many forged paperwork documents are you going to have as numerous booster shots come along, you know? And maybe it's okay. And maybe it is okay. As we've talked about before, maybe this kind of deception is a self-defense kind of deception, but it is never ending. Like never ending. That's always have to continue. Exactly. Charade. Um, So now we've kind of gone out of the realm of like the tangible and we're now into um, the things that you can't go out and, and necessarily purchase and stockpile. And I split um, the 
there's kind of two categories of intangible. Um, the first is um, things like community and your skill set, um, and I and I think I include your health inside in in that as well because. Um, with this, in, these intangible things, if you have community and you have skills and you have health, then anything tangible that you don't have, if you had to leave or if you ha don't have the resources now to stockpile or whatever, you can acquire those things that you need for you know your basic necessities, like in your Maslow's hierarchy, you know, just food and water and safety. Some of these things, if you have health and you have community and you have skills, then you can acquire all of that for your family. And um, the reason why it's important to think about these things in advance, not only does it take time, um, so resource being, one, your biggest resource is be, being time, and you have to de be deliberately developing these things. Um, it's also, you know, it, when you're trying to figure out where to spend your money, people will say, well, I don't, I don't, I can't afford an $80 class on X. I mean, I, I next um, week I'm starting a six week beekeeping class because it's something we're trying to do here on the farm and all the books I've read, you know, you really just need to have hands on to be confident with it. So it's expensive, but it's a skill. I have decided that this is what something I want to invest in for a skill. And so when people say I can't afford it, in many ways, you can't afford not to. So you know, there's, there's, um, self-defense classes. You can go to shooting schools. Um, people don't want to do things like go to holistic doctor that's outside of their, um, you know, their insurance to get supplements and, you know, chiropractic work or holistic medicine kind of thing. They'll say, well, I can't afford it. It's, it's not covered under my, under my insurance. Well, if you don't have health, then when they, you know, you are more susceptible to anything that's thrown at you, no matter what the scenario is that comes down the pipe. And frankly, we don't want to, you know, do what so many people have done on like the funny um, TV shows that are on HGTV, like extreme preppers, where they're like, I'm prepping for this specific, really not likely thing to happen. Like, well, maybe you may, you may argue that it is likely that Yellowstone volcano might erupt, but that's the thing they're prepping for. And they really are not ready for anything else. But if you have health, you are ready for anything that goes comes down your way. So if, if you need to buy organic groceries because, or you want, or you need to have some supplements and that's going to cost you a hundred dollars an extra a month. Well, that's exactly what you need to do instead of putting money in your 401k because for, because that's in the negligible category. This all comes down to trade-offs. This whole model comes down to trade-offs. You're going to um, prioritize one thing. That means you're not going to do something else. You're not going to buy Bitcoin. Instead, you're going to learn, you're going to take a survival class and you're going to learn how to start a fire from scratch and a piece of flint and, you know, a mirror in the sun. So, um, that's why that's why the model exists is because at the end of the day, it is about trade-offs. So that is the um, that's a class of intangibles. And as as Catholics, it all boils down to the center, most important um, of the concentric circles. And that is the essential. And I, I really only have um, two uh, subcategories in there. It's your mentality and your faith. Uh, I'll start with mentality because um, 
at whatever the crisis looks like, especially if it looks like anything we've read in the Bible or anything that we've heard about in, in prophecy, it is going to be so incredibly frightening to somebody without hope and without knowledge of what's happening that you may have, say you're you know, a multimillionaire, you can cover every base in all the other concentric circles. And you feel like you can check, check, check. And you feel like thumbs up and you're warm and cozy because you've got 15,000 rounds of ammo and you feel good about that. But if you are mentally not prepared, you're not tough enough. Um, you haven't thought through what this might feel like. Um, you have this sense of hopelessness, then, I mean, we're going to see mass suicides. We're going to see depression people. Are, I mean, which is of course also a form of health. You can, you can say mental health is form of health, but I'm really talking about how that ties in with faith. So how can you really be mentally tough if you don't have anything to live for? And how can you have anything to live for if you don't know God? Um, and so that is why when you, when it comes to your time and your money, boosting the areas that they can never take away from you. Even if you end up in the gulags, even if you are father Chiswick and you're in solitary confinement for 23 years and you don't have your community and you definitely don't have, I mean, you don't have your health anymore. They're barely feeding you. Um, you, you don't have your, your 401k has been so far gone. You don't even remember it. But if you have, if you're mentally strong enough, and I really think that that's really tied to faith. If you know what, if you have the hope of Christ, you understand that this life is just something we're passing through on the way to our heavenly home, then, then they can't take it away from you. Um, that's the one thing the devil really wants to take away from you. It's the one thing his servants really want to take away from you and they'll never be able to. Um, and so um, time is probably the, the, the resource that you're spending most when you're talking about this, because you're, you're reading, you're praying, you're, um, you're, uh, you know, you're meditating all, all of that is time that you could be out building your fence for your goats, which is my current thing. You know, I spend a lot of time looking outside. I'll be on the porch reading, you know, doing my morning meditation. And I get distracted by looking out to my farm and being like, so many projects, but those are, uh, those are immobile tangibles. And so I immediately remember that they are not as important as this moment that I'm spending. Um, and then of course, money does play into it too. Um, I recently had the ability and the, and the real distinct honor to attend the Catholic identity conference, um, in Pittsburgh. Um, so many amazing speakers to include, uh, Bishop Snyder and, you know, Archbishop Vigano um, zoomed in. It was just insanely um, rewarding for me and the people that were with me. Um, and that was not a cheap trip. I mean, it was, you know, I just, I've lost my income. We are threatened to use the, lose the second half of our income due to um, not wanting to take the, the cooties poke. So it, it, it goes back to, oh, can I really afford it? Well, due to the model, you really can't afford not to. You need to be prioritizing these things. And I also developed um, some community and did some networking there. And so you can always, you can, if, as long as you have the model um, in your mind, as you make your decisions for your family, um, then it's going to be cohesive and you're going to keep the main thing, the main thing at all times. So um, 
prep for things that they can't take from you um, and, and remember the concentric circles. And that's pretty much the model. That's great. Just add a couple of things on it. You know, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, I don't have a TV, but every maybe year or two, I get into kind of a series and I got into a series called Alone. I watched season two and season six. And one of the things I noticed is they had certain mil. Oh, let me give the, the premise of this thing. It's a little bit like Survivor, but it's not as like tropical and, and catchy and, and immodest. They, they drop 10 people who've already tried out out of a large pool of people, large pool of people try out. They, they pick their 10 best survivalists. And then these 10 are dropped either in Vancouver Island or way up in the Arctic in Canada, I guess a later season in Mongolia. And then each of these 10 people has 10 items of clothing and 10 tools. And then whoever lasts the longest in the Arctic or the Mongolia or wherever wins. Now there's no crew. I've never even seen Survivor. I think there's a crew in Survivor where on a loan, these 10 people go with their own uh, body cams, GoPros, tripods, that type of thing. And what was surprising to me in season two and season six, spoiler alert for the next 60 seconds. So just fast forward 60 seconds. If you do want to watch alone and you haven't seen season two and season six, military people do not win. Season two is run by a 50 year old former evangelical Brazilian missionary, or rather he's from Michigan, but he was a missionary in Brazil. So tropical area, not even like where he was dropped off in Vancouver Island. He's the one who won season two, try to wrap up the spoiler alert here. But what was surprising to me is the military people who were very, very good, who actually um, were able to stay alive physically, they tapped out, forgot to mention, you tap out via sat phone, you push the GPS, you tell the people who run alone, and they're there within 30 minutes in a boat, or if it's super cold or snowy, a helicopter, uh, rather if the lake is frozen in season six. And so what was surprising to me is uh, some of these super hardcore military people had to tap out for psychological reasons, not for physical reasons. So this ties into a lot of, you know, your concentric circles right there is, you know, the very center of this has to be meaning, meaning in your life. Um, I mentioned this guy at University of Ghent, and he was on this other guy's channel. I didn't, maybe they're secretly Christians, but it wasn't really a Christian podcast. It was just talking about mass formation and brainwashing large groups of people. And really one of the reasons they said this, my word borrowed from my Navy SEAL friend, he calls it, my Navy SEAL friend calls it the COVIDocracy. I'll call it COVIDocracy. The COVIDocracy moved in because people didn't have meaning in their lives. And there was what this uh, professor from University of Ghent called a free-floating anxiety. He explained in this podcast a little bit more what free-floating anxiety was. And it's basically an ambiguous anxiety. You're just, you're anxious about something. People don't know what they're anxious about. But then the notion of masks and medicines and stuff to take care of this giant looming pandemic that just has a 50-50 chance of killing you, everyone thinks, well, that gives you meaning all of a sudden. And it's an outlet for what they call this free-floating anxiety. Now we're going to see, of course, um, there's going to be no end to it because there's really going to be no meaning in the masks and the cooties pokes and all that. We all know that probably 99% of people listening to this podcast already know that. But what I found fascinating about this podcast is there was a vacuum all across the globe. You know, this wasn't just the United States. Father Ripperger recently said on the Grace Force podcast, these globalists took only two weeks to collapse the entire global economy. That's never happened in, in history. 
But if you combine what Father Ripperger said with what this professor at University of Ghent in Belgium said, there was a vacuum that only moved into this meaninglessness and this free-floating anxiety. But let's hone in on that term meaninglessness, that if we got into this mess, because people didn't have meaning in their lives, and now they kind of have meaning fighting the pandemic or the scamdemic, what do you want to call it? They have meaning in doing that. That's going to bottom out on them when they see there's really no end to this. But to speak to your concentric circles, to really want to live, you're going to need meaning in something outside of just your own body. So if you have, as we said, 15,000 pinot beans, actually, those are dry. Maybe we should say bags, 15,000 bags of pinot beans, because I think they're dry, <laughs> or, or 20,000 rounds of ammunition. Um, what are you going to do? Like, why are you actually trying to live, you know? And I think um, Solzhenitsyn found that out in the gulag. He was looking around and he saw the only people that were not collapsing under the gulag guards' lies were religious people. This was Russia 50 years ago, so I assume they were Russian Orthodox. The only people he saw that weren't buying into that level of torture in the gulags, because it's like, what's the movie? Um, Zero Dark Thirty, the whole story of Obama or um, Osama bin Laden. Remember that line when they're, they're doing the waterboarding, American is waterboarding, um, one of the, one of the guys that knows where Osama bin Laden is. And he said, everyone cracks. It's just biology, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if you, so you can be the toughest army ranger out there with, with a huge plan, but if you get cracked on your reason for living, then you're going to crack. And this is it where would, it's actually um, surprising how quickly yeah. that can happen. It could even happen in yeah. a training scenario. Um, mm. I, when I went, attended um, SEER school, Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape, it's a two-week um, school that all special operators have to attend. Oh, one of the alum and, guys was an SEARS guy. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. So it's and he didn't make it. He did, I mean, it was super tough. He didn't make, he didn't make he didn't, it through the show. He didn't win, is what you're right, saying. He didn't win. He made it through SEERS, but not through the show. But he might, like, but there are people in the military who don't even make it through the training. Yeah. Um, I, was, uh, I was the second highest ranking officer when I went through. Um, and I, I ended up becoming the senior ranking officer because the officer who was outranked me had a mental breakdown when he was in our, the kind of, um, 48 hour, uh, isolation part of the event. And he had a mental breakdown. He had to, he had to leave the school and, and he went on to somehow becoming a still, still being a special operator. So wow. when you say that they didn't make it, I'm like, that's not that surprising. Cause I've seen the breakdown and I've seen people break down just in training. I like that you brought up meditation too, because I mean, obviously who needs to be the center of the concentric circles? It, it has to be Jesus Christ. Of course, probably everybody figured that out by now listening to the podcast, the center of your meeting, the center of your concentric circles has to be Christ himself. But there's a lot of people who've accepted Jesus who don't know how to meditate. And this is where I'm glad you put that whole thing on meditation because, you know, meditation gives you this, this strength. I mentioned Father Ripperger a minute ago, you know, he says one of the very best protections against ever needing an exorcism is your daily meditation, 50, 15 minutes, 30 minutes of your meditation, because um, demons often enter through the mind and when your mind is full of the gospel, meditating on the gospel, this is why I do the VLX series, not to plug that, but this is really one of the reasons I do it. When your mind is, is protected through something there, it prevents this vacuum from demons from coming in. So, so it's not enough to say, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian who goes to the Latin mass every Sunday. You have to have the mental strength that comes through 
meditation because we are in this mass psychosis, this mass formation of tyranny right now. And you as a psyops officer understand this, that you don't go in the front door through psyops, you go through the back door to win over a culture. And, and just because you go to the Latin mass doesn't mean you're going to be protected against this. So um, this, the psychological center has to be Christ and that has to be very deeply rooted in Christ, not just shallowly rooted in Christ, but very you know, deeply rooted Father, in Christ. Father, you know, I take it even further than that. I'm, as traditional Catholics, if we are deprived the mass or the sacraments, yeah. how, in what ways are you going to protect your family from mortal sin if, yeah. if you are isolated away from the sacraments, if all of, um, you know, you know, traditionalist custodis 2.0 comes along and everybody is, is kicked out from being able to say at least not in the catacombs. Um, mm -hmm. so, so do you have, have you prepared, have you done the physical preparedness to be ready for that spiritual battle that you're going to be waging when maybe you can receive the sacraments once a year? Um, I mean, think about the things that are the biggest um, temptations in, in the lives of the average American family. I mean, we know that the internet is where a lot of people are exposed to some of, you know, the most, um, you know, evil and innocence destro destroying material. So, um, you know, I think things like investing in a, a firewall on your internet you, can, you say you can't afford it. Well, you can afford it. If what you're trying to protect is the things that they can't take away from you, that's your mortal soul, that's you and Christ in that inner concentric circle by yourselves. And maybe you won't have the additional graces of the sacraments other than, you know, those of desire um, for how, who knows how long. Yeah, that's right. Too many people think that prepping is keeping up with the Joneses. It's keeping up with Satan. I mean, technically it's, it's going beyond Satan and, and triumphing triumphing over Satan by the blood of Jesus, but just for the sake of making succinct little glib statements, prepping is not keeping up with the Jones, it's keeping up with Satan. And like you mentioned, firewalls, I mean, let's say you can't get to a priest for a year, what's the most likely way that your average family person falls? It's going to be the internet. So, I mean, unless your family has no Wi-Fi and everyone only has flip phones, you know, there's a lot of traditional families out there. I've said this on other podcasts and stuff before, they think uh, that their kids aren't finding stuff. And it's like, they are, if you have Wi-Fi, your kids are finding it. And they've, they've done statistical studies. They're finding kids as young as three to six are finding this stuff and even getting addicted. Um, so you really need these high firewalls. So, you know, not to, not to make people paranoid or whatever, but you have to, you have to prep to stay in grace too. Um, and of course, you know, there's some great, there's some great videos out there on how to make a perfect act of contrition. I mean, you, if you fall and you can't get to a priest, you can still make a perfect act of contrition and be saved, but there's less surety in that than finding a priest. And there's less, less surety than just putting up good firewalls. So, you know, not to make anybody paranoid, but we do have to think along the lines of prepping of like, how do I get my family to heaven? Because there's a lot of people like, this is kind of an example I gave to you off the air. Like, let's say some guy has a huge bunker. He's got all the weapons he needs, all the food he needs. And then his wife accuses him of a domestic disturbance and he's arrested at you know, Walgreens in or CVS in some random little town in Montana or Idaho, let's, let's say that accusation is false. I mean, it could be true, but let's just say for the sake of argument, that domestic disturbance, that violence against his wife was just a false accusation. Well, here you have a good guy who's prepped. He's got a whole bunker full of food and weapons. And then his wife just is mad at him for some reason. And he gets arrested 
and right through the back door, you know, he's taken out right there. And this is why earlier in this podcast, I said, you know, the first thing, and I actually learned this from, I think it was a Marine on the show alone. He said, the first thing to die in combat is your plan. So this guy's going to just enter some jail in Montana or Idaho, totally crestfallen and destroyed inside. What does he have to live for? Well, if, if Christ isn't your reason for living and you just lost your bunker and your wife betrayed you, what else do you have? So there's always going to be something that comes out sideways in your life. And this is what's so amazing about the gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ is founded on loss and poverty and therefore gaining everything through that. So yeah, certainly. And don't be surprised if God throws that at you anyway, just to <laughs> remind you what's really important. Like he'll just let yeah. you go ahead and, <laughs> and you have this whole arsenal and you yeah. have this militia and you're ready, you're ready, but you yeah. haven't done the right things. Well, you'll probably end up a father Chiswick and hopefully you'll be thankful for it, for that, because through that, you may actually save your soul. And he and- described it. Yeah. Father Sizzik described, remember page 77 to 81. He describes it as a conversion experience. He was the most mortified Jesuit. He had the strength to do it all, but even those communists broke through uh, him. And it wasn't until he really entered this very St. Therese type attitude of absolute surrender that he was able to conquer the communists. And by conquer, I mean, he went to a Siberian prison camp for like 10 years, but he triumphed over them in the interior life. So everybody, Emily and I are totally pro 2A. We hope that everyone out there is pro second amendment. And I hope if things go really bad, everyone goes down fighting for their families. But if you lose, you haven't lost because Jesus Christ is everything for what we have to win um, for our whole families. That's right, Father. And I, I could really talk about prepping the, the practical. Uh, I think you'd be more uh, the person to reach out to for some of that more essential stuff. I'm definitely not um, the, the expert on any of that. But I will say if anybody does want to talk about things that are specific for their family, um, I have a lot more advice. And I can kind of, if you reach out to me on social media, um, we can kind of talk about what makes sense for you in kind of the more practical aspects of where putting, where you should put your time and energy um, in the tangible um, realm. So I do want to make a quick note on medicine. You know, as an ex-paramedic, I have a high military grade tourniquet in my car. Tourniquets are awesome. They can save lives. Um, in four years in an ambulance, I never use one, but I have a, a buddy who's in a pretty high volume system right now who convinced me to, to, to uh, put one back in there. Um, I was planning on just using a uh, blood pressure cuff if I came across like a femoral bleed, but I actually never even needed that in, in somehow four years on the ambulance. But I do have a military grade tourniquet in my car, which is awesome to have if there's a trauma center nearby. But, you know, a lot of people out there prep for medical situations where they may not have access to a trauma center. So think of it this way, Emily, you've seen your own friends get hit by IEDs, lose limbs and stuff put a tourniquet on that. They get choppered to a trauma center in Afghanistan or Iraq. That's awesome if you have that. But think about it. If you're living on a farm and you can't get into a hospital because you haven't had the jab and you put a tourniquet on somebody, that's not going to do anything good. Why? Because a tourniquet leads to death one of two ways. If you're bleeding out and you put a tourniquet on somebody and you leave it on forever, you die of gangrene. If you take it out, take it off, you bleed out. So you actually need a trauma center behind you if you're going to put something on like a tourniquet. So people, people, father, you just proved my model. So if you have prioritized community and identified people in your community that can handle that next level of treatment, 
right. um, and they'll do that outside of a hospital for you, then you, you, you definitely had to think that part through or you're going to die for sure. And so, there's certain things where no, no community without a full scale hospital, like if you have two, if you have bilateral femur fractures, your lovely anti-jab doctor down the street isn't going to help you. You're well, then die. it's your time. It's just your time. It's to your, go. Yeah. <laughs> then, it, then it's your time. But people need to think along the lines of medicine of like, maybe learn how to do sutures instead of buying tourniquet. Now sutures aren't going to take care of an arterial bleed unless you're a general surgeon. But um, these are the types of things where people may need to think um, low level instead of exciting level medicine, you know, learn sutures, learn the basics of antibiotics to have around, um, learn holistic and naturopathic medicine. So you just don't get sick in the first place with all this stuff. You know, we're born, I realize, you know, we're born with lights in our eyes and full of shot full of medicines. And then most people die in this country shot full of medicines. Right. And I realized most people in this country, we go through our whole lives chemically dependent on something, right? And who knows, maybe God lets this whole thing bottom out so that we live healthier lives. That's what's crazy about it. We, I mean, I'm kind of afraid of what's coming. But in the other side of the coin, it's like, guess what? All of our health could greatly increase if we're not living out. What do you like, Wendy's, Emily? <laughs> Yeah, it's better. I think it's better than the fried food you eat. I'll at least grilled chicken sandwich and you're just like fried chicken to the face. <laughs> well, we're all going to get healthy. No, your you point know. is well taken. Your point is well yeah. taken. I mean, right now, my family, we're transitioning off of big pharma, everything. So yeah. I just got over a cold and, um, you know, I really wanted to reach for that day quill when I was suffering, yeah. but um, I ended up, you know, every hour um, taking a, a, a mullein syrup one hour and then the next hour a doing a like kind of a fire water shot which is mostly apple cider vinegar and I got over that cold in like six hours and it was really incredible yeah that's awesome so I think it's just we always think well we went to big pharma we went to these um more you know chemical stuff because the other stuff didn't work well that's actually not true not true. it's not true <laughs> it's right. not true at all the other yeah. stuff works great it just doesn't make any money because you can go into the backyard and make it so i was talking to a friend of mine she's not even as like extreme as me on the whole traditional latin mass scale and i i said to her she's a she's a nurse and i said you know i have this theory that medieval catholic man and woman lived a lot longer than people say um, and I thought she was going to laugh at me because, again, she's not kind of seen as an extremist in the Catholic world like me. And she said, oh, no, I've had that theory for a while. Well, her and I came to the conclusion that most people in Europe and the Middle Ages, the reason why people say they died early is they're giving us the mean, not the median. What I mean by that? So the mean is because a lot of people went off to the Crusades and war and things like that, and they died earlier. They died young. Um, but if you look at the median age of death, it, it may have actually been a lot higher than us who were just pumped full of big pharma all the time. So even this notion that people in the Middle Ages died early and lived unhealthy lives, it, it might be as silly as the notion that they were stupid. I mean, people in the Middle Ages had several books memorized. They could speak three or four languages. Your average person in a public school in this country can't even speak English. And I'm, that's not a rip on immigrants. I mean, whites can't speak English and read, you know? Well Father, nowadays we are literally killing ourselves. I mean, I think some, I've read something that the suicide stats right now are the highest they've ever been. We are killing ourselves. At least in the middle ages, they understood the gravity and the mortal sin aspect yeah. of suicide. So right. we know that we know for a fact that they weren't physically killing themselves at these, at these kind of rates. So at least, you know, we can, look at the, you know, going for them. 
um, yeah, I have a friend who is a Marine. He doesn't believe in PTSD. And one of the things I want to challenge him on is like, well, then why is the post-deployment rate of suicide so much higher than the reserve rate of suicide? Something happened. You know, and in fact, ISIS made that video like five years ago, mocking how many American soldiers come back and kill themselves, right? So there's something, these guys are much tougher than me physically, but there's something that's a lack of meaning in their lives in this. Um, real quick last point, and I think everybody who's listening knows this, but you got to get in shape. You know, it's a new year. I don't practice what I preach on this, but I, I do want to get in shape because, you know, you mentioned the road with Vigo Morganson pushing some wheelbarrow down the road or whatever. Like, if it does come to that, you're going to have to be able to push that wheelbarrow down the road. Any, any final words just on physical fitness here? Um, I just don't think it's, you don't need to go and be a CrossFitter. I think just getting out of your house and walking and, and, and just getting out, like getting off the couch. We, so Mm -hmm. many, and many of us, even those of us that think that we're not, you know, couch potatoes, we just don't go walking. You know, you, you find like an hour hike, you'll be completely smoked. You're just like, oh man, yeah. I really hope I don't have to get out of here on foot and you know, bug out. Yeah. Um, but my in my family, we do um, fairly frequent walks with our little 72 hour bug out bags that we keep in our cars at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll just throw those on and just go for a walk. Um, okay. We probably look like the neighborhood crazies, but everybody knows us around here because we've yeah, developed yeah. community. The notion of an office is only a couple hundred years old. You know, right. this, this idea that I'm going to make money by sitting down really pretty new idea in the history of the world. You know, you look at how the apostles lived. They were learning from Jesus under trees, on boats, on the road, on the pathway. Um, the apostles didn't go into their rectories and have offices and write emails or make podcasts like I'm doing. This is not natural for a priest to make pod. I, I admit it. It's weird for a priest to make podcasts. It's just what's in my lap right now. But who knows? I may have to go get in, in shape to uh, carry my weight on a farm when I'm bringing the sacraments there at some point. But That's we don't right. know the future. We got to be ready for anything. And the first thing to die in combat is your plan. So this is where the Holy Ghost gift of counsel comes in. Counsel is when the Holy Ghost directs you. It's not a locution into your ears, but you're guided what to think, what to do, and what to say in the moment. And there's no moral manuals for that. There's no prepping manuals for that. And this is where, you know, the rosary or Our Lady, because Our Lady is the spouse of the Holy Ghost, being very close to Our Lady through the rosary increases the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life, uh, including counsel, which helps you navigate through your first plan being destroyed, your second plan being destroyed, your third plan being destroyed. Well, then we, then we come to the point of surrender to God, um, which isn't wimpiness. I think too often we think surrender is wimpiness. Um, in surrender, God may ask us to uh, fight hard, die as martyrs, who knows? Um, but counsel is that gift of the Holy Spirit that tells us what to think, do, and say. And Mary is the channel for all graces. We have to stay close to her if we're going to understand what to do when our plans go to pot. Yeah, so prepare, but be faithful and don't worry. Exactly. That's it. That's exactly it. Well, thank you so much for your time, Captain Emily Rainey. Always a pleasure, Father.